Yeah, hey, welcome to Track Nerds. With me today is Logan Dinning, who just texted me this morning to say what's up and that he's in Afghanistan. So I thought, hey, let's record and see what uh, Logan is up to, who I haven't talked to in probably a, a year or two, actually, maybe outside of the stray text here and there. So Logan, you are currently in Afghanistan, correct? Yeah, that's that's right, yep. Nothing else than <laughs> just chilling in Afghanistan <laughs> like any other usual Tuesday? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm actually uh I'm out here as a contractor now. So this is my second time out to Afghanistan. The first time was in uh two thousand thirteen and two thousand fourteen and that was uh with the military. And now I'm out here as a uh, as a civilian contractor. Okay, I wondered because I knew you were in the Marines and I was pretty sure you had been to Afghanistan before and then more recently you were working as a police officer in Arizona, is that correct? Yeah, so I got out of the Marine Corps in two thousand 16 and then yeah i was i was a cop in phoenix for like two and a half years and then this last december i left the uh, police department and started working for uh, the company that i work for now called dark blade systems and i'm out here in afghanistan i've been out here since january oh yeah dark blade systems so that's that's not the bad guy in every movie i've ever (laughs) seen (laughs) yeah I, i I'm not one of the guys that's working on the, uh, you know, the robotic stuff to defeat uh, Spider-Man, but okay. I'm sure they're okay. <laughs> you're you're just the support staff for those guys, though. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Dark Blade. Oh my gosh. Okay, so that's pretty. That's pretty cool. So how long have you been in Afghanistan at this on this current stint? Then. So I've been here since uh, since January. So about four months. Oh wow. And I will be here for a year. So I'll be here till next January. But I'd, I'll, I'll, I'll make at least, well, I'm making at least one trip home, which will be like towards the end of this month. Um, I'll be going back to Arizona. And then th- I'm going to try and make it one more time before my deployment's over. But I have to, I have to kind of keep track of the number of days that I spend um, in the United States versus out. Because if in a 365-day period, you spend more than 330 days uh, living outside the United States, you get some sort of crazy huge tax break. Oh, so I have to limit my uh, travel home to be less than basically less than thirty-five days right. for the year. Okay, so you kind of got to budget that out to make sure you get that tax break. That makes sense, right? So, like, just okay, you're in Afghanistan. So, like, where are you? Like, how far are you from Kabul? Or like, what's your what's your setup? Are you near a town? Are you out in the middle of nowhere? Like, what? Just where are you at? So my main base is uh, Bagram. We also call it BAF, which is short for Bagram Airfield. It's the biggest base in Afghanistan. If my geography is right, which I think it is, it's just north and maybe a little bit west of Kabul. Okay. But we, I mean, for my job, we, we travel all over the country. So I'm out of the Bagram area probably five days a week at least. Okay. You're just doing then like weapon system stuff or like what what is your I guess what is your I guess you said to your work for, you know, the evil evil corporation, but what what do you what do you do for them? <laughs> yeah, so my actual job title is operations and intelligence consultant, but in practice I'm basically a maintainer um, for an electronic warfare system that we that our, our company uh, has a contract to do the uh, the maintenance and training piece for basically here. Um, in Afghanistan. So anyone who's fielding that equipment out here, if they have an issue, if something breaks, uh, if they want training, we go to them or they can ship it to us and uh, we take care of them. I'm just trying to think. So then from the just, I don't know, spitball here from the government standpoint, what's the advantage of having non-commissioned people like yourself that are, is it is it cheaper for them or is it just an expertise and or you can stay there longer without the commitments of being enlisted at the moment? Or like, why, why would they choose you guys over enlisted people with similar backgrounds? So I think in the long run, it actually is cheaper for them to contact contractors, you know, performing this, these types of duties. I mean, you think about, you know, I have you know, five years of experience from the Marine Corps. So when you factor in all of the extra benefits and stuff that um, actual service members get paid uh, when they come over here, it, I think it actually is cheaper. But don't quote me on that, though. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I'm by no means an expert in the uh, the financial side of, of how, how that all works between, you know, you know the, the DOD side and then the contractors and the subcontractors and 
Okay, but it's just a fairly common thing in, in most places where we have troops. There's also uh, non-military personnel support staff. It's just kind of a very common thing. And uh, probably a lot of those are oh, like yeah. yourself yeah. where they were former enlisted as well, one would imagine. Yeah. Just because you're yep. used to being, you know, I mean, you probably didn't really bat an eye about, oh, yeah, sure, I'll go back to Afghanistan. It's no big deal. Right, yeah. Especially, you know, with the with the raise that I got going from city cop to being a civilian contractor out here, it was pretty lucrative. Oh yeah, I I uh, I, uh, I I wasn't gonna ask, but I, I I have no doubt that you are making bank for being over there, and that's probably why your wife allows it to <laughs> happen. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so then, from a again, from you know, because this part of this podcast is about uh, travel, so I want to uh, specifically then when one goes to Afghanistan, like what's the process? Where did you fly out of? Do you have to get a like a work visa, or since you're not military, to go to Afghanistan? Like how did that all play out? Yeah, I did. I did actually have to get a visa. So that was one of the more surprising things to me. I thought, you know, oh, we're in Afghanistan basically as an invading force. <laughs> Why would I need a visa to go there? Oh, right. We It's just kind of like we have the muscle. So we're just going to show up. And what are you going to do about it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I, so I did have to get a visa. Um, I had to I actually used a, a service um, called Travisa. Uh, basically they did everything for me. I just, they sent me the forms. I filled them out, you know, sent them the pictures, you know, whatever documentation they needed. And then I mailed it to them and they took care of everything. The actual interactions with the uh, Afghan consulate in Los Angeles, which is in Beverly Hills. Um, so, you know, those guys know how to pick a location for their consulate, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I had to get a a one year, uh, work visa to come out here. Okay, and I've heard of similar things, and I wonder if that's a newer service. I, I forget who it was that had, had had mentioned going overseas and had to basically like fly to Chicago just to go to the consulate or whatever to get the visa and then come back to Wichita. And I was just like, man, that's kind of a pain. So I wonder if that service you're talking about either didn't exist or they weren't aware of it. or. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's nice. And it, it is a little bit expensive. I mean, obviously you, you have to pay a pretty good um, sum of money to have them do it for you because it is a pain, you know, to do it yourself, which for me, I was all about the convenience. Right. I did not want to have to drive to Los Angeles, you know, one or two times, let alone, right. you know, if, if there's complications with paperwork, you know, making five trips out there from, I mean, Phoenix is relatively close. It's only like a five or six hour drive, but you know, that was just gonna, that was going to add up. So I opted for convenience, and it also didn't hurt that uh, my company reimbursed me for it. So, okay, so the other person I was talking about probably then, if the service did exist, they chose the cheaper option by actually going to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Although I think even if I wasn't getting reimbursed, I just for the sake of pure convenience, I probably would still use the the service to get the visa. Okay. Okay. That's uh good. Good to know, I guess. Although I don't, I can't think of any countries coming up where I would need a visa. But uh, that is that uh, that is interesting. And then, uh, so where did you fly out of? So I actually, so I flew out of uh, El Paso, Texas. Um, I had to go to a week long training iteration uh, called CRC. I'm not exactly sure what CRC stands for. I think one of the C's is contractor, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what the other what the rest of that stands for, but. So it's, you know, it's basically, a, you know, you do your, your medical check there and then uh, you, you take some classes. You do like a uh, uh, the Humvee rollover trainer where they put you in uh, basically a metal box that has Humvee seats in it and Humvee doors. And they flip it over a bunch of times and you have to get oh, out wow. safely. But, you know, there's a, a few training things you have to do there to be basically to get the, the sign off from the army. Hey, you know, you're you're good to go. You're allowed to go to Afghanistan. So I, I flew out of uh out of El Paso, and that was on. It was like a military chartered commercial plane. Oh, okay. So I mean, it was a regular commercial plane with flight attendants and stuff. But it was, you know, the contractors and then military were the only people on the plane. Gotcha, gotcha. And then where did that connect to? I'm guessing that didn't go straight to Kabul. No, it went from El Paso to Ireland, and then Ireland to Kuwait, and then uh, once you get to Kuwait, you have to wait. A couple days, sometimes shorter, sometimes longer, but it's typically a couple days before you get on the actual like military cargo plane that goes from Kuwait to Afghanistan. Is that wait like a quarantine thing, or is there a specific reason for that? No, it's just because there's so many people. Um, oh, coming it's a, you're through just queued up. You're just queued up. Okay. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So basically everyone coming from anywhere, you know, both military and contractors, people who are getting ready to, you know, start the deployment, people who are, you know, who took leave and went home and are coming back. Everybody has to kind of go through the same, the same place. Okay. Okay. I'm just trying to think general thoughts on Afghanistan. It's just kind of this interesting place that has, is tied to the history of uh, so much of just the you know, Western culture. And you think it's this place that basically has been just kind of this, I don't even know what to say, like not a thorn in the side, but it's like just uh, impossible to deal with. I mean, the British were, you know, in quagmires in Afghanistan, you know, over a hundred years ago. And, and uh, I was thinking uh, in Sherlock Holmes, like Dr. Watson was like, over in Afghanistan before he came back to England and met Sherlock Holmes. Like it's just kind of been that relevant to kind of the Western world. It's kind of, there's always thing in the background. Of course, and what's so sad too is how it was, kind of becoming uh well i hate to insult them by saying westernized but it was it was like a modern you know Kabul was like a modern quote-unquote normal city through the 70s right until kind of everything went to hell with the russians and everything else right yeah you know i want to preface this by saying that i am not an expert uh on <laughs> afghan history and culture but yeah I, I think you are right that it was you know relatively developed i mean you know there was uh, you know, universities and, right. um, you know, their economy was, was booming. They, they were, you know, pretty westernized. And then, yeah, the, the Russians uh, invaded in, was that 1980? That sounds right. That sounds right. And then that gave way to the Taliban that we were basically kind of arming them to, because which on the surface makes sense. It's like, oh yeah, we got to let them help them beat the Russians. And then the Russians are gone. And oh yeah, now they're radical Islamic terrorist groups that we were actually funding because we didn't like Russia. Oops. Right. Which, and I don't know if this is a spoiler alert for uh, an upcoming <laughs> history and film episode. <laughs> true, uh, true. Shout out to your other podcast. Yeah, thank you. But uh, the the movie, and even uh, even better, the book, Charlie Wilson's War, is is all about that. Right. About, uh, okay. You know, how, how uh, you know, the United States is basically fighting this proxy war here in Afghanistan. And, you know, everyone was, was all about it. Everyone was cool with was killing Russians basically, and then once the Russians left, we just kind of said, "All right, that, our job here is finished," and and left. That kind of was the uh, the start of a lot of problems for uh, for the United States. Yeah, it's tough. And actually, I just, I literally just wrote wrote down Charlie Wilson's War because I don't think it was in my upcoming movies, but that's a good title, and I will definitely keep that in mind because <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah. I just, I just. Uh, I think when I saw it, I just I didn't maybe tie it into what we we're talking about just now. I just kind of saw it as like quote generic war movie, and really didn't think much about it beyond beyond that. Yeah, I, I really like it a lot. Philip Seymour Hoffman's really good in it. Yeah, yeah, he's probably my favorite. Tom Hanks is the is the main character, right, Charlie Wilson. Right. Uh, but my my favorite part about that movie is uh, the Aaron Sorkin screenplay. Did he write that too? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I'm definitely gonna have to try to use that one in the in the project there with that we'll uh we'll 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 come back to come back to that so you probably you probably don't have much i guess leisure time wait sorry we're on leisure time probably right now but like you're basically pretty much just on base or at work you don't get to like do you get to like take a day trip into kabul or whatever kabul or whatever or is it you pretty much no very restricted i I don't know if i would want to okay um, okay even if i was allowed to gotcha just not not a good spot to go right now yeah, I mean, there there are places, um, especially in, in Kabul. It, it's a bigger city, so I mean, it's it's relatively safe. But yeah, no, we're we're not we're not taking day trips off the base or anything. So uh, let's let's flash back then to just the, the Marines in general. So where all did you travel when you were with the Marines? So I was uh, I was stationed in uh, California at Camp Pendleton, which is just north of San Diego. It's at like the the northern tip of San Diego County. And I loved it there. I loved being in California, and I loved living in California on the Marine Corps' dime. Oh, right. I mean, it's, you know, the cost of living there is just outrageous, especially compared to, you know, Cheney or Wichita. Right, right. So it was nice. There was never a shortage of stuff to do. You know, San Diego was close. L.A. wasn't that far away. But, yeah, so California, uh, I deployed to Afghanistan, uh, like I mentioned earlier, in 2013, 2014. And as part of that deployment, since it was so long, we were deployed for a year. So we raided R&R, which basically the military would pay our travel anywhere we wanted to go for two weeks. So a lot of guys, you know, the the guys that were married, guys with families would, you know, they they use that two week time to go home. But since I was not married at the time 
and had no obligations in the United States. Uh, a buddy of mine who took a bunch of Chinese classes uh, in college and spoke pretty good Chinese was like, hey, do you want to go on a trip to Taiwan? And oh, I said, wow. absolutely. That sounds awesome. So we had, yeah, we had the, the military pay for a, a two-week vacation in Taiwan in the middle of our deployment, which was pretty cool. Oh, crazy. And I guess I don't, I guess I wasn't aware of that. I don't remember. And of course, Taiwan's in this awkward area too, where like China claims Taiwan as part of it. And then Taiwan is kind of meh about that. And aren't we kind of like, we kind of want to see Taiwan as independent. I get, I get confused on all that too. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, if you thought Afghanistan was complicated, man, the <laughs> the geopolitical situation of Taiwan, I, I, I don't understand it at all. Um, right, and whether it's a country or part of China. Yeah, because like China basically says, oh no, it's like it's it's us, like it's China, um, but they have their own flag. I believe they have like separate military that is not Chinese. Oh, huh. And uh, I, I don't know if, if you remember this, but back when uh, Donald Trump first got elected, he like made a phone call to the the president, the prime minister. Uh, I, I don't know what That's the leader right. Taiwan's it, title is. Yes, yeah, basically recognize their independence. It was kind of a big gaffe, right? Not even their independence, just kind of like recognize that they were a country. And it was like a huge deal. Because China's like, um, excuse me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he he doesn't know things though, so that's not <laughs> surprising. Um, <laughs> yeah, for all the listeners, uh, you know, it, it is a Donald Trump podcast now. Just <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 you uh, you you're, you're you're cut, you're cutting out, Logan. You're cutting out. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, so how, how, I guess yeah, how I mean, just briefly uh, on just uh, Taiwan, like the city is most of the country, or is there a separate city? Like, is Taiwan a country, or or sorry, is it a city, or is it? So Taiwan is. It is an island nation. The main city is Taipei, which is okay, where we right. spent the okay. entirety of the two weeks was in Taipei. Okay. There, I mean, I, I loved it. I, I liked, uh, you know, the food was awesome. The, uh, all the little, like, the street food. I mean, it was, like, stuff that I'd never had before. Uh, stuff that, as an American, I didn't even know that people anywhere in the world ate. Um, I ate heart for the first time there. They had duck tongue. <laughs> uh, you know, pig's feet, you know, all, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. The uh, former tallest building in the world, uh, Taipei 101 is there. Uh, if, if you look up a picture of it, I'm, I'm sure you'll recognize it. It's a very distinctive looking, uh, very tall building. But um, yeah, we got to go to the go to the top of that. We uh, we stayed in a uh, in a hotel. And uh, the first night we got there, um, we, we actually showed up a day early. Um, and left our, our flight was scheduled to leave like at the end of the last day. So to get 14 days, we ended up getting more like 15 and a half days there. But the the uh, the hotel that we stayed in um, the first night that we got there, we had to me and my buddy had to share a room um, because it, the rooms that we had reserved weren't available yet. So we gave them our credit card information. Then then when we checked into our regular rooms, uh, we gave them our credit cards again to stay in uh in those rooms those two rooms for the 14 days and then we had to share a room again on the last day because you know we we it was past our reservation oh right and so we we basically gave our credit card information three different times we never once got charged oh nice so we basically stayed in a hotel it was like you know fifth between 1500 and 2000 dollars worth of hotel room for free Oh my gosh! Of course, the military is going to reimburse you anyway, unless you got it on no, top no, no. of that. No, so, so the reimbursement is just for the travel. So oh, anything else was on us. They pay for the place of the plane tickets over there. Okay, right. And then you end up getting the hotel for free on top of that. Holy cow! Yes. Yeah. I thought you were going the other direction. You're going to say you got triple charged or something, and it was a big mess. No. Like, no oh wow. No. <laughs> You're like no. It was uh, it was amazing. Yeah. So talk about a useful travel hack. Just make sure the Hotel doesn't run your credit card. Yes, yes. <laughs> you're also getting more like, uh, yeah, travel tip, credit card fraud. <laughs> it wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. Uh, <laughs> that's crazy. So and then, in, uh, so I guess in Taipei, that was basically just in the city. Or, or were you able to get to like any like nature part of Southeast Asia, like in the coast and everything, or is it mostly just this, just the city? No, it was it was just the city. 
the closest we got to uh, to anything naturey was going to the Taipei Zoo. Yeah, okay. um, was it? It was actually pretty cool. Uh, that was the first time I had, I had ever seen pandas. Oh um, yeah, Taipei Zoo. The, I guess that they don't have them in the Wichita Zoo. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't think they have them in Wichita. I know that they have them at the uh, San Diego Zoo. But I had not been to the San Diego okay. Zoo before I left. That was something I did after we came back. Okay. So, yeah, the uh, the day that we went to the Taipei Zoo. So it it let me just back up a second. So it it rained pretty much the entire time we were there. Um, I guess they have a, a sort of a monsoon season mm. um, in Taipei or in, in Taiwan. And uh, yeah, it, it rained every single day, I believe, the entire time we were there. And so everywhere we went, we had to carry umbrellas with us um, to keep from getting soaked. The day that we went to the zoo, uh, we checked the forecast before we went, and it said, you know, 20% chance of rain or something like that. And so I, Uh making a a bad emotional decision because I was so tired of carrying this umbrella everywhere, thought, I said, hey, man, 20%. Let's just let's just risk it. I mean, twenty percent is nothing. We'll just we'll just go without. I I do not want to carry this umbrella. It's such a pain. You know, we'd been there like nine or ten days. I think by that point, you're just tired of it. I yeah, like, yeah. I was like, I'm I'm so tired of carrying this umbrella everywhere. Let's just let's just you know go without. And uh, that day it rained probably the worst it did the entire uh, trip. Yeah, it was. I mean, it it looked like I had just jumped in a pool basically. Ugh. And uh, yeah, my phone got wet and the the screen broke on it. It was yeah, it was it was it was a bad deal. And and all because I just didn't want to carry the umbrella for for that one day. Yeah, but again, those you, those are the lessons you learn when you're traveling though, right? It was uh it yeah. was it was one day of suffering and now you probably won't do that again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, you'll see me in Kuwait, you know, with the with an umbrella, you know, That's in the right. middle of the desert. Because <laughs> you never know. <laughs> just in case. I'm not going to lose another phone. <laughs> um Let's uh let's shift to uh work workout r- routines because I know you you were always a uh, you know pretty pretty skinny little distance runner in in uh in high school and I I feel like you got kind of jacked in the Marines I just saw you kind of flex your tatted up arm there a little bit too on the Skype <laughs> and uh, so uh, what do, what are you doing these days to stay fit Yeah man so I've uh, I've kind of done a little bit of everything I guess since since high school. You know, in the in the Marine Corps, there was obviously, you know, a lot of running and, you know, push ups and pull ups. And that was all stuff that we kind of had to do for work. So I didn't really do a lot of that in my free time. It was mostly just like trying to get as as big and jacked as possible. Then uh, when I got out, uh, actually, so towards the towards the end of my time in the Marine Corps. And then, you know, after I got out, um, I started doing the CrossFit thing. Um, I, uh, I joined a CrossFit gym in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, CrossFit Archangel, and I worked out there for like two and a half years, uh, basically the whole time that I that I was in Arizona before I came out here. Then when I found out that I was getting this job, um, I kind of took a break, so I stopped. Um, I, I basically I, I canceled my membership at the CrossFit gym because I knew I was going to come to Afghanistan for a year, and without the access to the gym and the prospect of going to Afghanistan and you know not being a cop anymore, so kind of in my mind thinking oh well there's no reason i need to be super fit i just kind of stopped working out for like over a month month and a half before i came out here um and it was like right at the worst time of the year to stop doing that too because it was around the holidays so like you know beginning of december to the middle of of january so you know with the compounded factors of (laughs) just stopping working out completely for like six weeks and the holidays and on top of that, I'm getting ready to go to Afghanistan for a year. So I'm like, oh, you know, I want a cheeseburger. I'm going to eat it. Oh, you know, right, oh, I, right. I'm craving pizza like just a little bit right now. I've already eaten three times today. Yeah, I don't care. I'm going <laughs> to eat a pizza. Get all that America I can before I leave. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, this this beer in the fridge, that looks pretty good. I'll have a couple of those right now. <laughs> yeah, I was like uh, 175 when I first got hired. And then by the time I left to Afghanistan, I was like, between 190 almost 200 oh man uh and and not good weight you know, <laughs> that doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like it uh yeah not not useful weight um but then i i got out here and i was like man i feel like crap like you know every time i walk up steps i'm like getting out of breath uh I was like I, I i gotta i gotta do something about this so you know the gyms here are 24 hours so regardless of what your schedule is there's always always time to work out 
Recently, I've been following uh, an app uh, called Softly. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, I'm but it's, it's like a, it's a couple of uh, former Green Beret Special Forces types, and they have different workout programs for all different kinds of athletes. So they have like you know weightlifting programs, powerlifting programs, uh, bodybuilding, um, what they call stamina, which is like you know rowing and running type stuff, which is what I'm doing right now. And then it also has, uh, you know, warm-up, cool-down, uh, mobility stuff, nutrition. Um, so I, I highly recommend it. it. It does cost money. I think it's like 30 ish dollars a month. But, I mean, just for the convenience of having all of the programs plus the mobility stuff, which is probably the thing that I lack the most and struggle with the most. You know, after, you know, being a, a long-distance runner and not ever taking stretching seriously i hear you you know my my uh my hips and ankles specifically you know just are are real stiff so the added mobility stuff is is really good um and the nutrition stuff too which out here uh i'm not really able to utilize that much because my only you know diet options are at a uh, a chow hall where i don't get a pick what they make that day but uh you know, it, I, I do see a lot of stuff that I want to use when I when I do get back, uh, you know, to the land of the free. <laughs> what was that app called again? Softlead? How do you spell that? Softlead. It's S-O-F-L-E-T-E. Okay. Okay. I uh, I almost had that right. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So you can't just like hop, you can't go call on a pizza from Pizza Hut or, or even go down to Walmart and buy a, it, it's basically it's whatever they're serving is what you're eating. Right. And for the most part, they, they do usually have, I mean, relatively healthy options. I think the military realizes that, hey, maybe we, you know, the people that are fighting a war, uh, maybe they should be, you know, nutritionally fueled correctly the way they're supposed to be. But at the same time, food is kind of a morale thing, too. So, you know, that every day for lunch, if you want, you can eat grilled chicken and rice and broccoli. But you can also eat, you know, a bunch of cookies and like cheesecakes and that kind of stuff, too. And that makes sense. And it's kind of all about that that balance of, like you say, keeping your sanity and the morale up, but then also being fueled for the work you're there to do. Makes sense. Makes sense. Right. Yeah. Let's uh, let's uh, shift to the final phase of what we talked about here on Track Nerds here with uh, with just the movies. And you know, of course, you mentioned Charles Lee Wilson's War. Uh, are you able to like watch you know Netflix and stuff over there, or you know, or like Avengers? I guess you probably haven't seen <laughs> Avengers in game or anything yet. So I actually have. What? Um, how? Okay, probably not legally. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say how I watched it. Uh, well, so. Lots of mirrors, lots of mirrors, just like <laughs> <laughs> reflecting yeah, they, all the uh, way from L.A. Yeah. So they do have, um, they did have a uh, a screening here uh, on the base. They, uh, a, a, one of the morale, welfare, and recreation MWR buildings here has like a, a little movie theater in it, and they were they were having screenings of Avengers Endgame. I did I did not watch it there. Uh, admittedly, I, okay. I did watch it on my laptop uh, in my room, but. They they do have that kind of thing out here. Okay, okay, um, and of course, then if you have the you have the internet, you can uh, do the Netflix stuff and all and all that. I'm sure. Yeah, so I have I have Netflix and I have Amazon Prime, which um, Netflix is good. There's you know a decent selection of movies. Uh, I I think I use both of them about equally. Uh, Amazon Prime I, I think is there's a lot more options if you're willing to pay money to rent or buy a movie. You know stuff that True, they have that, that right, isn't necessarily right. available for Prime for free. Right. That's included. Um, and then the other thing that I use Amazon Prime for is for uh, Game of Thrones. So I have you know I, I pay the extra fifteen dollars a month or whatever it is to have access to the HBO channel right. on Amazon okay. Prime, so yes. I'm able to watch Game of Thrones every week. Nice. So you're, and then I'm, we're not going to go into spoilers here or anything, but like you're caught up on even like the one that just came out a couple days ago. Yeah, yeah. Nice, so uh, nice. every every uh, Monday at like five thirty in the morning is is when they they put it up, and so uh, there's several people here. I was gonna say, yeah, there's gonna be a whole group of y'all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't we don't watch it together because oh, okay. you know, I'm just in my room, so I basically like set an alarm for like five twenty five. Oh. You know, it goes off. I roll over, you know, and start watching Game of Thrones five minutes later. 
that's how I start my day every Monday. That's that's actually really neat though, because and it, it kind of ties into this, you know, the the idea of the shared cultural experiences. And that's part of what's so neat about Game of Thrones right now. And it was just way more common back in the day. So they always talk about, you know, like with the MASH finale or whatever was like one of the most watched shows of all time. Because when there's only five channels and like say two got good shows on at any given time, everybody's watching the good stuff as opposed to now it's so spread out. And things like Harry Potter or Game of Thrones are then even more special because they're still getting those kinds of crowds and it is kind of neat that on literally on the other side of the world, you know, you're watching Game of Thrones just a few hours after I am or whatever, or actually probably darn near the same time if you figure the time difference. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I think there's just something something neat about that, especially when it's not crap. Like when it's, uh, oh, what, you know, the popular show that always I baffled me is uh, Two and a Half Men and then Big Bang Theory. Like those are those are just horrible, but they were really, really popular. Versus uh, Game of Thrones is legit good. And when I see people talk about how, Oh, I haven't seen a single episode. I'm cool. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's really good. You're missing out. It's not just popular. It's actually legit good. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's it's only gotten bigger. Yeah, I, I agree that it's cool that it's, you know, it's kind of a universal thing. When I first got out here, I watched uh, on Netflix, they have the, the Decade series that CNN does. Um, so they have like, you know, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. I don't know if you've watched any of those. Oh, I have not. Um, but so it's, it's kind of a, they usually have like between seven and 10 episodes per decade and like each one will focus on something different, but for each decade, the first couple episodes they dedicate to, uh, television at the time. And, uh, yeah, for like, you know, basically the sixties, the seventies, the eighties and all the way up, you know, through like the mid nineties before, you know, the, the time where there was no cable, you know, they're talking about, you know, all these millions of people tuning in. Because there's three channels, and they watch the one show that everybody watches. Right. But yeah, that's that's what that reminded me of when you when you're talking about that. That's on that's on Netflix. Yeah. So they have. I think there's there might be more seasons that exist that aren't on Netflix. But on Netflix, I know that they at least have a couple of them. But yeah, they're they're done by by uh, CNN. Okay, I'll have to check those out. Now, just again, kind of stream of consciousness where my brain took me. When you're, when you're talking about the decades, here's something. And of course, we may have talked about this. Uh, oh, back when you were still in Chini. But there's something you need to check out called the Up series. Just UP Up series. And uh, okay, it's uh, so back in like I forget the exact year, but basically back in like the '60s, it, there was a British documentary, and they looked at oh a handful of seven-year-olds and just what's life like for these seven-year-olds because the idea was these seven-year-olds are going to be like middle-aged come the turn of the of the century so we're in the 60s looking ahead to the year 2000 and these kids are going to be the adults in charge of the world as we get to the new millennium and all that so they did a documentary on them but then seven years later when those kids were 14 they was like well let's check on them check in on them again they've continued doing it and 2012 was actually the last last time they came out when they were like all 56 years old or whatever. And then like this, so it's going to come out this year and they're going to be 63 years old. And it's just kind of fascinating because in each new episode, quote episode every seven years, they kind of do they use the archive footage. And so you're seeing these people at 7, tw- uh, 14, 21, 28, all the way through until like now I'm pretty sure they're going to be 63 this year. And it's just kind of fascinating because they're just it's just the random kids they chose that are still willing to participate. So it's not you know they're all just normal, mostly middle class people. And I don't know, it's just kind of fascinating. And you talking about the decades made me think of it, and then the fact that the new one is scheduled to to come out I think this fall. So keep an eye on that. Very cool. Where do they have that? Where's where that available? Well, and that that gets trickier. I'm not even. You might check Amazon first. Um, I think mm-hmm. when I was watching them, I was actually getting like the DVDs via Netflix, so it might be a little harder to find. And but uh, I I do think it, it's worthwhile just just you know just just seeing how because I think because they are just no, such normal people, you it's, you just inevitably see yourself in the various aspects of them. And like you know, there's and there's a lot of people that have you know stopped participating, but you know you got the people going through the going through divorces or going through the death of a spouse or one dude ended up being like homeless. And then you're like, Oh my gosh. But then, Hey, seven years later, he's like running for local office and, and, uh, he kind of got back on. So just, 
Yeah, I, I, I'm actually not even sure where you can watch it right now, but Amazon probably be the first place to check. But uh, it is almost kind of so niche; it's uh, definitely not very known. But I, I think it's uh, definitely worth checking out. It's uh, very, very cool. Yeah, so kind of like like a like a documentary version of Boyhood, but just a lot longer time and with more people. I, yes, absolutely. So when Boyhood when Boyhood came out, I it, I definitely thought, oh, that's similar to the Up Up series for sure, absolutely. And uh, when I first heard Linklater was doing Boyhood, I actually thought he was making a documentary. And until mm-hmm. I until I heard he was actually just just using the same kid to do to do a narrative a narrative story. Yeah, that was a, that was a really good movie. So since you did say you were caught up on um, on the on the Track Nerds podcast here. Had you got a chance to see any of the best movies from last year and have any opinions of, of your own, or are you kind of too busy to keep up with all that? So pretty much for the entirety of last year, um, I was you know doing the police officer thing, and then also uh, having a kid in kindergarten, my free time to watch movies was very limited. So I think out of all of the movies, which, oh gosh, I just listened to this a couple of days ago too, out of all the movies that you guys mentioned, I think I saw like maybe five. Well, that's better than you built it up to be. I mean, it sounded like you were going to see nothing but, <laughs> but nothing but. I saw Frozen and uh, Coco, <laughs> and I think that's right. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one one that I was uh, surprised that you not only had on your list but had it as high as you did was uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Okay, I love that movie. I can see that. That's always you've always liked the Coen Brothers. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've rewatched that movie probably five times. And I mean, e- even in addition to that, like I have the uh, the soundtrack oh, on nice. Spotify, and yeah, oh man, that was it was so good. <laughs> and I I I love the uh, I I really liked you know the fact that it was all of the the short films kind right, of put kind together, of the anthology but, thing, yeah, yeah, thematically tied together, but not you know no characters or anything were the same, right. The music was awesome. I really liked the uh, the Tim Blake Nelson Willie Nelson uh, duet at the end of the first. Oh yeah, short that's film. yeah, that's that is just kind of a beautiful moment. Like it just like it's not even necessarily my kind of music, but that's kind of what the genius of the Coen Brothers is. Like, same thing with Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Not my kind of music. Oh, but I love it in that movie and bought the soundtrack. And then same with Buster Scruggs. Not my kind of thing, but. Oh man, I'm just like in awe of that final musical number at the end of the first story. There, it's it's uh yeah, it's just so so cool. I'm surprised yeah. you're surprised that I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, that and then at the uh, the the very last, so the the, the first and the last short film, uh, I, I think are my are my favorite. So the the last one where they're in the carriage. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it, the way that it you know it starts out. It's kind of you know sunset and kind of you know upbeat and kind of silly and then you know as it goes on it just gets really really dark and uh almost scary yeah even though it's just people talking the entire time and uh i'll go ahead and give a little spoiler warning here if you haven't watched uh ballad buster scruggs you might want to jump forward a little bit but we won't won't get too in depth but i think the last segment something was like lost on me because i remember i heard people talking about that it was actually like the carriage to the underworld and that these guys were like basically death and these were new souls. And I'm like, I completely missed that. And I rewatched it like just with that in mind. And I guess I can kind of get it, but I still don't think it's as obvious as everyone else was kind of making it sound. What were your thoughts on the meaning, I guess, of the last story? Yeah, that's that's the way that I read it um, the first time that I saw it, which it's not, you know, you can't really do a one-to-one comparison because, you know, okay. while... While I think that they are, you know, basically ferrying these three souls of the underworld, they also have a guy with them that is dead, like in their story in that world. And that's what threw me off. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I do agree. I do think that that's the way that it's. I, I think that's the right answer. Uh, but I can see how it's confusing, just because, you know, you think, oh, you know, th- these people are being ferried to the underworld, but then it's like, okay, well, then how did they die? You know, they weren't they alive when they got on the carriage? Uh, if they're dead, how is there a guy on the roof of the carriage that's also actually dead in the story? You know. Yes, you just read my brain from when I first saw it. But uh, I, I think you have the right idea that I'm probably trying too hard to make it a one-to-one analogy. And, and that's just not how it works. It, it is art. It's kind of abstract. Right. And, and uh, it's just kind of the general feel. And then like you said, I do like how basically each story gets darker and darker and my favorite was actually the uh, the longer one, the Wagon Train West. 
I just I didn't really dug oh, that okay. one for some reason. I just I mean it's it's it is kind of hard to beat the first one, Buster Scruggs, and I definitely was mad he isn't in more of the actual movie. But I just just found that longer one, the wagon train, just really kind of charming and heartbreaking and kind of all all the best best and worst ways and uh uh and just how they have the little segments you know with each book you know it has like the quote ahead of time and it's like oh mr so-and-so didn't know what he was gonna say to i forget their names but you know what i'm saying just like oh yeah, yeah just uh how it where it leaves it and you're like oh oh you just yeah anyway it's uh yeah, yeah very very cool i have a uh one of my cousins who lives in uh western nebraska or at least did um, at the time that they were shooting that, what got to be an extra in that oh, no way. Uh, part of the movie? Yeah, so just he's, one of the people in the wagon the guys train, walking, walking in the wagon train in the background. Uh, one of the other things, uh, and I don't mean to turn this into the Buster Scruggs podcast. No, no problem. But, uh, Let's do it. <laughs> one of the other things that I liked was kind of the way, because basically every story kind of deals with death in a different way. Absolutely right. It, That's the thing. It keeps yeah. going, you know, darker and darker and darker until the very end. So you know the way that the the death well yeah spoiler alert yeah. the death of buster scruggs in the first uh episode which uh, is that really a spoiler i mean that's like 10 minutes into the movie well um, no not when but, it's each individual story it's still spoiling that story and uh but no yeah, we'll, we'll, right. I'll, I'll, I'll put a note in the in the thing that says skip ahead if you don't want buster head buster scruggs spoiler so now let's spoil it away okay but so the uh yeah, you know, the, the way he, he, he dies and it's kind of, you know, goofy. He looks in his hat and there's the blood in there. And then he kind of, you know, just kind of falls over backwards and then immediately turns into an angel and is happy and singing. And, you know, it says something to the effect of, you know, all that, you know, there must be a better place. Otherwise, you know, what are we all doing here? Oh, no, he says, uh, what are all the songs about? Yeah, is what he says. yeah. And then, you know, contrast that at the very end these people just got ferried to the underworld and they are all terrified. They're hesitant to get out of the carriage oh, to go true. into the hotel yeah. at Fort Morgan. You know, it's, it's very, very dark. It's, you know, scary. Yeah. I just, I just thought that was really interesting and really cool. Yeah. Um, that, that's the a... way that, that they, they, that they deal with um, death, the different ways, the different stories. And side note in that last story, Brendan Gleason's song that he sings yeah. uh, is, I think it's just, absolutely beautiful um i that's besides the tim blake nelson willie nelson song at the end of the first uh little section that's probably the second most played song from that soundtrack <laughs> on my spotify nice nice and uh well of course gleason's got the advantage i don't okay i hate to get wrong if he's scottish or irish but both of those two areas are always just the, the the songs and the history and just the the sound of like old Ireland or old Scotland. And again, I know they'd probably like hate each other, but uh, <laughs> in, in in my mind, they kind of have this similar oh, not aesthetic, but just vibe, I guess. And uh, uh, of course, that kind of goes back into the history stuff too, with all the all the Celts going off to the different areas after uh, the Angles came in, and that ties back to the other podcast. But anyway. Trying to think if I oh so yeah let's uh let's finish with the uh, the question and I kind of put you on the spot here but you've heard it asked of uh of Braden and Sarah so if you had a time traveling uh, boombox that could take you anywhere anytime in Earth where would you go Logan so all right so I I remember um I think it was on the episode with Sarah where you were talking about being a white band is oh, you know. Yeah being not only white but also a man uh is really advantageous <laughs> to time travel to the past correct actually i think uh louis ck has a bit about it he does about, he's like well i'm not going to the future <laughs> exactly yeah as, as a white person you're not going to the future but any any time in the past any time in history uh, is awesome you know being being a white man but i also only speak english True. so i would probably go american old west you know i just kind of like the the cowboy thing, the free Roman thing, you know, the kind of the, the lawlessness, but also, you know, you, you can kind of, you know, make anything out of your life that you that you want. So either uh, the American West or the American Revolution time, you know, the founding of the country, I think would be really cool to, you know, sit in on the arguments that people were having when they're trying to ratify the Constitution. And, and I know a lot of that stuff is is documented but i think to actually be there would be really cool 
Right. And that's something Braden and I talked about that just the idea that, you know, it's one thing to look at something in a history book and another thing to actually be there and think about it being real life and being the present. That's another thing. You look back at all these old shows. It's just like, remember when you're watching, you know, Deadwood or something, that was their present. What they're wearing wasn't old timey. That was the newest modern outfits. Like, they were stylish, right. and that was that was the time. And uh, so, are you thinking with the with either of those two time periods, like just a visit, or I almost got the vibe that you were leaning towards, like, no, I kind of want to live there if I could go for a while. Yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, to a point, I think in my, right in my head, I have this kind of really idealized version of you know what living in the old west would be like. Uh, I'm sure it would actually be horrible. You know, I really like having internet and I like being able to look up any kind of information that I want to know, you know, within seconds. Um, I like having a toilet that flushes. I like taking a hot shower um, every single day. Well, and uh, I like uh, I like uh, antibiotics. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's all I think about the two like the medieval stuff and like even like the kings and the queens. Just think what the hygiene level was for even a monarch just a few hundred years ago, and it was basically like poverty level substandard here, and just yeah. kind of fascinating what we what we get what we can get used to as human beings, I guess. And we've kind of almost in the in the West and especially in the United States, we've gotten such a well, I guess maybe in 100 years from now, they'll look back and think I'm an idiot. But just this high level of <laughs> hygiene and, and standards for ourself that uh, it's almost kind of we're beyond what royalty was until just the last few decades. Yeah. The the other thing, too, <laughs> I'm almost talking myself out of going to the old West at this point. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just things that no one could explain. Like, so I'm I'm thinking about like when I uh, I took a trip to Tombstone, Arizona, um, a couple months before I, I came out here to Afghanistan. Actually, it was with the same guy that I went to uh, Taiwan with because oh, nice. he was in uh, Arizona for some training that he was doing. But um, at uh, in Tombstone, actually just outside of Tombstone, they have uh, Boot Hill Cemetery, right? Um, which they actually show in the movie Tombstone, the tombstone with, you know, less, here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no yeah. less, no more. But in that cemetery, not only are there a ton of graves that are, you know, just marked unknown, there's like stories of we found this guy at the bottom of the well. We don't know what happened to him. He's buried here now. Wow. You know, this guy fell in, in the mine, but, you know, he was wearing a suit, so he wasn't a miner. We don't know what happened to him. He's just buried in the cemetery now. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, in, in the Wild West, <sighs> things could just happen to you. And, Back then, there's, you know, the uh, forensic science is, you know, basically Oh, right, right. Oh, my gosh. You, like, strangle <laughs> the guy and leave him on Main Street, and they're just like, well, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not they're not pulling fingerprints. You know, there's, there's no DNA. Oh, my uh, gosh. You know, you could just, yeah, you could just die or disappear, and no one would ever know or, or care, really, because, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yep, La- last rough. About last rough. Right? Yep, yeah. yep. Oh man, yeah, that is uh that is rough. Yeah, so maybe like 1985. I'd like to go to you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think that's the year that uh, Marty McFly was doing his time machine stuff. So maybe we can oh, incorporate it? that. I want to say maybe it was 84, right right around 84, 85. I think. Uh, so then the follow up question is: We'll say you're sticking with the old west. That's where you wanted to go. That's where you're going. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, so what, uh, what celebrity or historical figure would you take with you and, and feel free to get creative. You can get, you know, you could take someone from the past and then bring them to the future. That's the, uh, uh, old West for them. Oh man. Okay. So basically I can take anyone from any time. Right. And I just so, take them back to the, the wild the, west. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I might, I might take, uh, Abraham Lincoln and even though, cause so for a couple of reasons. Okay. Uh, first, while it would be the future for him, it wouldn't be like bringing him to like now. It would, right. It would not be overwhelming. Right. Everything's right. going to blow his mind. Right. Oh, man. That's a bad choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> Pun not intended. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Continue. But, oh, man. But, you know, it, it would be far enough in the future to where he could kind of, you know, see the legacy that he had, you know, see, you know, the, the way that the country was growing and changing, 
um, stuff that he would have got to see but didn't get to see. I think it would be cool, you know, to to let him experience that. That's a that's a good way to say it. To basically let him, in a way, live out his natural lifespan. Because what was he probably in his fifties when he was killed, or was he? I don't even know if he was sixty yet. Was he? I have no idea. Okay, I'm I'm going to say he wasn't quite yet sixty. We'll see if we can we can look that up. But uh, yeah, so right, he he would have had another thirty years and lived to near the darn near probably would have lived to nineteen hundred. Yeah, it's almost yeah. He's definitely. I mean, anytime anyone dies before old age, you're definitely cheated out of the rest of your life. But I guess I've never thought about. Yeah, then you miss out on the decades worth of worth of progress that would have happened in your natural lifetime. That's a uh, yeah, an interesting way to look at it. Um, yeah, and good choice. And, then, and take him to both. I mean, kind of you could take your know, Lincoln to the Old West, and then uh, and then take him to the American Revolution. And uh, you know, in our in our minds now, it's easy to think of you know Lincoln and Washington as in the same sentence, and it's like, well, no, they were nearly a hundred years apart. And yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Lincoln's a little closer to Washington on the timeline, but he's, you know, darn near at the halfway point between. Plus, I think it'd be cool, you know, thinking about the American Revolution thing, taking Abraham Lincoln there. You know, we might both be nerding out because that's like that's American history for for both of us. Right. Oh, right. He's heard the same stories. And yeah, yeah, you're right. He'd be just as just as excited as you are to sit in on those rooms where they're debating the Constitution. And right. Yeah, that would be And if anything, too, that would be a neat gift to give to Abraham Lincoln. Like how cool to you know what? I'm going to take Abe on a trip because he deserves it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's uh, we'll go ahead and uh, uh, sign off of uh, track nerds for now. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Logan, for your time. But we're going to continue over if you want to keep listening to us on uh, the History and Film podcast. And he's going to help me do my my recap here of the second season of that show. So thanks for, everybody for listening, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you later. Thanks for having me, Rich. 